0: Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. I'm Virgil Sierra, lead pastor of Vertical Church in South Florida, where our aim is to point people up to God, teach them to follow Jesus, and equip them to make a difference. Thanks for connecting with us, and we pray that you are blessed by this message. Vertical family, I came to preach today. So you might, I don't know, you might get scared, I don't know. I came to teach and preach the word of God. I'm excited to be here. Um, you know, a couple of things that are important to us, church is learning and knowing about the Bible. Uh, there are little note, these notes papers, you can grab them there behind the scenes. If you if you ever like taking, if you're old school, you like to take notes, you can use those for notes. Also, can I just see who's got their Bibles? Anybody got their Bibles in church today? Anybody got a gold star, gold star, gold star, gold star, gold star for all the Bibles in the house, amen. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to kind of read along, raise your hand, our ushers have some Bibles, they'll let you borrow for today's service. Um... They're there for you, so thank you for requesting them. We need more ushers. We need a lot more ushers passing out Bibles. Woo! Bibles, Bibles, Bibles. If the staff can help them, please. All right, so today we're continuing on in our study of the series of First Peter. Open up your Bible to First Peter. Question, is First Peter in the Old Testament or New Testament? New Testament. New Testament. All right. Um, we're getting those Bibles out, so thank you guys for holding those hands up. Um, okay, so New Testament, the book of First Peter written by Peter. Um, today's message is entitled specifically, Standing Firm or Stand Firm in Suffering. Stand Firm in Suffering. Uh, I want to give a little bit of an example before I kick off uh, kind of getting into the word. And, uh, and, and I guess the first question I'm going to ask, okay, here's the question I want to ask. How many of you here would say, I want to grow? Anybody would say today, I want to grow, Right. Yeah, yeah. Now, In fact, let me, let, me, let, me, let me rephrase it. How many would say, I really, truly want to grow? I really, truly want to grow. I'm going to lift up both my hands, right? I'm part of that crew. I want to grow too. So here's, here's something I learned from one of my mentors. His name is Sam Chand. Dr. Sam Chand is, a, is a, one of the kind of Christian leadership gurus. Uh, he's amazing. And he, he taught me a lesson once and um, connected to this, right? And, and, and here's, here's what I want to mention is did you know that growth doesn't come cheap? In other words, there's a cost to growth. Um, When you really grow in life, it's not in times of comfort and success. When you grow most and truly in life, it's in times of trials and challenges and pain and suffering. Okay? So here's, here's something I learned from him. Let me put the first one up on the screen. So growth equals change. Everybody say it with me. Ready? Growth equals change. Because are you in agreement with me that... If you want to grow, there's got to be change. And if there's no change, there's no growth, right? So, growth is equal to change. Here's the second line Change is equal to loss. Why? Because when I change, it means I let go of some things. In other words, I lose some things that I had because I'm deciding I want to change. Are you with me? So, you know, like like if you want to change and I want to lose some weight, you're going to lose some things. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not going to just say, I want it, and it's going to happen. If you want the growth in the right way to happen, what's going to happen is you're going to lose. So growth equals change. Change equals loss. Loss equals pain. Are you with me? Because when you lose something, generally, it hurts. Like when you're a baby and you enjoy your your tete, your bottle, your boo-boo, I don't know what you call it. And there comes a point where you grow and you no longer have your tete, Right? You're like, oh, wait, right, but, but you grow. There's a loss. So growth equals change. Change equals loss. Loss equals pain. We could just sum it up and say growth equals pain. Are you with me? So let me ask again. How many of you want to grow? It was a little slower. Less hands, okay, less hands, less amens, and a lot slower. (laughs) Me? Because now we're here. People like the idea of growth, but they don't like the cost of it. And so in all of our lives, we have something called pain capacity or limit. And the number one reason that people don't grow is not financial resources. It's not cultural reasons. It's not emotional reasons. It's not administrative or location reasons. And these things may be part of it or important, but the highest determinator of a person's growth is their pain tolerance. And in Dr. Chan's book, Leadership Pain, he says, you will grow only to the threshold of your pain. So now, (laughs) now the question, it kind of carries a little more weight, and you got to think about it a little bit. Do you want to grow? And if we're truly honest, there's something in us that just doesn't want to experience pain. Or, or, or that thinks, I can't tolerate anymore because there's been so much in my life. Did you know that according to studies, When we think we're at the end of our limit, we're actually at only 40%. Did you know that? Studies show this, you know, in the military and all kinds of things. When we think we're at the limit of we can't anymore, where are we? At 40% of our capacity. This is why pain and suffering and adversity can limit us. They can actually stop us from growing, stop us from pushing through to growth and breakthrough in our lives because a lot of times, the more pain we suspect, the less likely we are to push through and experience growth. So, Pastor Verge, why are you sharing this with us? I'm sharing this with you because Peter is addressing this issue in this letter of First Peter, specifically to Christians who are going through some very difficult times. He's writing it to Christians who are dealing with severe persecution. By the way, specifically they are suffering for their faith in Jesus in these chapters of the book of first peter in the bible it talks a lot about suffering in fact there's no other place in the bible where there's where the word suffering appears more times together and in one place than in first peter so peter wrote this book to help encourage those christians in the midst of their suffering now, can I just be honest? Do I have permission to be honest? Permission? Yes. Permission granted. Okay. If we're honest, here in the United States of America, we are not, for the most part, experiencing great suffering for our faith in Jesus like they are in some countries, in some parts of the world, where it's illegal to believe in Jesus, where it's illegal to own a Bible and you have to smuggle them in. You know what I'm talking about? Where they have pages of the Bible ripped and folded in places because it's illegal and if they were found, it could be a penalty of death. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's that's suffering for your faith in Christ Jesus. So I want to give us a word of, word of advice. As we've seen and learned through history, things can change in a moment. <laughs> and those of us that come from countries like Latin America, countries in Latin America and other places, you can see how quickly a government can change, how quickly things can change. Where all of a sudden, you things you took for granted are, are all of a sudden not possible. And so um, I just wanna be honest with the fact that severe suffering for Christian faith isn't happening here right now how it's happening in a lot of places in the world. Can we just agree on that? However, however, if I talk about, if we talk about, well, what's, what's the most relevant, kind of most hit home here right now in the States, maybe uh, forms of Christian suffering for their faith? Well, I would say, uh, for example, when, when a person is, is either um, insulted heavily or treated unfairly in the workplace by a supervisor uh, or, by, or, by, or by coworkers because of their faith. Uh, and you might laugh because it's never happened to you, but I, I've, I've sat with a few people. In fact, I remember sitting with a young man from our church a couple years ago sharing with me how he was, he was physically being, being taunted. He was being insulted. Um, um, I almost, I almost kind of wanted to get involved, you know, but, but he, he eventually got out of that toxic environment. But it was all because he was Christian. It was that kind of kind of aggressive um, approach and assault. Uh, another example might be for, for students at a school or at a college uh, who are unfairly treated or insulted by professors or by peers because of their faith. Now, this may never have happened to you. you. Maybe you've never really been too vocal about your faith, and people really don't know and don't care because you're not really doing too much. But some people sometimes are outspoken about their faith, and uh, and sometimes it comes against them. Do you understand what I'm saying? The other most relevant one I would say today in, in, in our context is when there's a spot when there's a marriage, and there's a spouse who is a believer. And, and the other spouse is not a believer; is an unbeliever, and sometimes it's okay because the unbeliever doesn't really care, and it's like you have freedom. Do go to church, read your Bible, do whatever you want to do. That's fine. But sometimes the unbelieving spouse actually uh, brings brings insult, brings burden, or even prohibits you can't go to church. You're not allowed to be a part of that group. You're not allowed to do these things. We we sit. Usually, it's more the man limiting the woman. We rarely have any situation other other, other ways. But but I would say that this is a, a, a this is a sense of suffering. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons why the Bible talks that you should not be unequally yoked. It's different when you both got married and you were both unbelievers. That's a different story. And then one becomes a believer. Well, you know, now you got to pray in Jesus' name, Lord. Use my testimony. Use other people to bring him or bring her to the Lord. That's different. But that's why you don't want to be yoked with an unbeliever as a believer. You with me? Okay. Okay. So, Peter writes 1 Peter to give us a biblical worldview about suffering and how we think about suffering. So based on what we've spoken a little bit right now from First Peter, even from Dr. Sam Chan, let me just give you this quick line. There is growth in pain, and there is purpose in suffering. If not, just talk to Jesus, okay? As a Christian, if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you and I have a calling and an opportunity to get past our limits that we think we can't tolerate because there's always more steps and more opportunities to do something that matters for God and for his kingdom. And Peter describes how to stand up in the face of social opposition or cultural opposition in the world. Two important questions I want to answer today. Number one, why should we endure suffering? Why should we endure suffering? And number two, how can we endure suffering? That's what the message is going to be about, okay? And, uh, and so, so let's start off with the first one. Why should we endure suffering? Can, can we just take a moment to pray real quick? Can we pray? Lord... Oh, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts today. I pray that the words from the Bible, the seeds of truth from your word would really land on good soil in our hearts and in our minds. That we would understand your word. That we would be willing to apply the principles in our lives and see the fruit that come from it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why should we endure suffering? Number one, Peter actually says this. Number one, suffering eliminates sin. <clears throat> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna expand on it. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter four. Are you there? 1 Peter chapter four. Before I continue, make make sure, look at the top of the page, make sure it's not 2 Peter, okay? Because they're, they're right there back to back sometimes. So 1 Peter chapter four, verse one. Verse one. What verse? One. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Pause. Peter says here, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Think about what what do you arm yourself for? To protect yourself. What do you arm yourself for? To be prepared, right? So that when suffering comes, notice that Peter doesn't imply if suffering comes. He says, he implies when suffering comes, arm yourself so that when it comes, you won't be shocked. You're not gonna be surprised because we need to be aware that in this life and in this world, there will be some kind of suffering. It may be minor based on a scale and what you're comparing to other things, major, maybe it's a life and death situation, but there will be some suffering. And suffering comes in different shapes and sizes and flavors. From cost of penalty of death for your faith, like some parts of the world, to sometimes we suffer in our body sickness, sometimes we suffer relational strife and fracture. Sometimes we suffer injustice. And it says there in the second half, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Peter is not promising sinless perfection for those who go through suffering, okay? What he is pointing out, however, is that when you suffer, listen to this, it has a way of making you reorder your priorities. Have you ever been in a harsh situation with you or your family and sudden, all of a sudden, like all of a sudden, you know, bowling isn't as important, right? Or the car wash. It's just not as important because, because of what you're going through. You know what I'm talking about? Peter's saying that, that when, when you go through suffering, it gives you a new perspective. And all of a sudden, things that used to matter, things that used to taste good, things that used to be like, oh, I really want this, they just don't matter anymore. And you live with greater consciousness of what really matters and this is true with your spiritual life as well, that when you suffer, the things you used to care about, the sin you used to get entangled with, it all of a sudden loses its allure. Do you understand what I'm saying? Look at verse 12. I'm sorry, look at verse 2. That's why in verse 2, it says, as a result, by by the way, it's saying, saying, arm yourselves with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, verse 2, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Pause. Look at me. Look at me. There's always a constant battle between evil human desires and the will of God. I really feel the Holy Spirit is speaking to some people today. I really feel in my heart. And listen, listen, we're a church that's very aware of all kinds of people, new people, old people. This is, this is First Peter, by the way, and it's really directed towards Believers going through suffering. But you may not be a believer here, and I think there's a word for you too, but I really feel, I sense in my Holy Spirit today that that this really needs to reach some people's hearts. So as a result, they do not live the rest of their lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Hey, hey, Peter says, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Do you know what pagans means? People that are ungodly, people that are in the world, people that are not Christians. You've spent enough time doing what they do Living in debauchery. Do we need to define the dictionary of debauchery? I mean, do we know what that is? It's reckless life, especially with s- sexual passions that are out of God's order. Living in debauchery, lust. Do, do we need to put a definition up on the board? Drunkenness. We know what leads to that, right? Not apple juice. Orgies. We understand what that is? I'm going to describe it. Orgies. Carousing and detestable idolatry. Idolatry is anything that comes before God. Anything that I put, some of us have idolatry with money. Some of us have idolatry with possessions. Some of us have idolatry with ourselves because we are what's sitting on our throne of our hearts. And so, and so Peter's, Peter's, like, Peter's like speaking really direct. When you experience some suffering in your life, it brings so many things into perspective. And Peter essentially says, guys, we've wasted enough time on these foolish, sinful things. We only have so much time in life. Let's not waste any more time on those things. And so what happens is when you, when you come to Jesus, or if you've been with Jesus, especially if you had a crew, if you had your crew or you're your family and you come to Jesus and all of a sudden you say, I'm taking a step because of my faith in Christ, not everybody's going to be happy about that. And that's why it says in verse 4, they are surprised that you do not join them in their recklessness while living, and so they insult you. When you take a stand for faith in Jesus, listen listen to me. Imagine here there's an imag- there's imaginary line. When you, take, when you cross that line and you step in with Jesus, It's a new beginning. That's why the Bible says you are born again. It's not, it's not, I dab my foot in, but I stay here. It's, I go in. When you do that, it's a clear decision. I am for Christ. I am with Christ. Not that I'm perfect. I'll make some mistakes along the way, but it's clear who I'm with and who I'm for. And now my life is different than before. Can I get an amen? And things that you used to do over here, You no longer do because now you're with Christ. And there's something in you that says, this ain't for me anymore. And things that you didn't used to do, now you do. You come to church. You read the word. You worship. You do godly things. You go on missions trips. you, You serve. Things that you didn't do, now you do because your life has changed and it's been transformed for the better because of Jesus Christ. And many people will be surprised, and some of them won't like it. Friends and even family. And, it's, and, and then it's the, hey, what's going on with you? Hey, where you at? It's Sunday. You know what we do on Sundays? Oh, no, you know, it's just that. I'm doing this church thing. Ah, I'll give you two weeks. Hey, hey, what's going on? And then and then eventually, when 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 they see you're for real, because a lot of people teeter-totter. You know? And so it's, oh, we've seen this before. But when they see it's for real, then it's kind of like, what are you stupid? Would what, they what, they brainwash you or something? Ah. No. Nah. And then it could turn it could turn into insult. It could turn into aggressiveness. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Family members or friends. And, and all of a sudden, you thought, wait, I thought you, I thought you liked me. I thought, but, but you know what happens is they don't know Jesus yet. So the prayer and the goal is, Lord, maybe through my example, maybe I could win some of, them, some of them for the Lord. But the truth is some of them don't like it. And I don't know if it's because sometimes they look at your change and they say, and maybe they feel bad because they're not changing. And so you remind me of the things I'm doing wrong? I don't know, maybe that's part of it sometimes. Or what do you think you're better than? You think you're better than us? And it's no, I just I'm better than me. I'm better than what I used to be. I'm not trying to be better than you. I'm trying to be better than who I was. And so And so they'll they'll even insult you or mock you or even want to offend you because of your decision verse 5. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You know, I find that many people, especially young people, they feel like, Pastor, I, I just don't want to miss out on life, man. I just don't want to miss out on life. Man, because of all the things the world offers, and because it seems like all that worldly stuff really fills and and really is good. And but 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 I'll just say verse five: every we're all gonna have to give account to how we spend our days. It also says above in the verses, it says that. Because whoever suffers in this body is done with sin. And I ask you today, what would you will be willing to do and to endure to be done with sin? That stuff that you don't do in the daytime when everybody's watching. that stuff you don't do when people are around, at least people that you know you care about and care about you. That stuff that's usually done more hidden, more dark. Jesus' death was suffering and sacrifice for us. And when he died on the cross, our sins were forgiven. So his suffering was for our benefit And by the way, when Jesus said to his disciples, Follow me, he didn't say, Come on, everybody, follow me. We're going to Chuck E. Cheese. Pizza and play. He said, If you want to follow me, take up your cross daily, follow me. Are you you understanding? Today wasn't a good day to come to church. (laughs) It was a great day to come to church. This is all about something bigger than you and me. It's not about how can I live a pleasurable life. It's, it's about understanding how can I live a meaningful life. And for the same reason that Jesus suffered to make bring open doors and blessings to other people, your suffering and pain will sometimes lead to someone else's blessing. Which goes to verse 8. Look at verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. What does it say? To love each other. How? Deeply. How does this work? Can I just say that love is hugely important in the life of a Christian? And by the way, people misunderstand this verse. Love covers a multitude of sins does not mean love ignores sin. It's not a cover up. What it really means is love keeps no record of wrongs. So my posture with you, you know, the best example of this is Jesus with the adulterous woman. You guys remember the story? The, they, they, they catch this woman in adultery. And the, and the law, back then, the law said that what should be done to her? She should be stoned. So then they come to test Jesus, and they say, look, she's been caught in adultery. What should we do, Rabbi? And Jesus says, okay, hold on a second. The Bible says he starts writing something in the sand. We don't know because it doesn't say what he wrote in the sand. I have my theories. But then he gets up and he says, all right. Let he who is free of sin cast the first stone. And who knows what the people were reading that he wrote in the sand was, but they just started dropping their stones and leaving. The theory that I believe is that he was writing the names of the mistresses of some of the guys that were there Sarah, Susie, Caroline. And they're like, that's not biblical, that's a theory, okay? Now, what happened? Jesus says to the woman, who's here to condemn you? She looked up. She says, nobody. And he said, neither do I condemn you. But then he said, here's the key. Then he said, go and sin no more. So do you see the combination of grace and truth or love and truth? So so love without truth is not love. So he didn't say, I don't condemn you. Keep on living, living it up, girl. Are you with me? So love, so if I'm living in a way that's sinful and you love me but you condone my sin, you pamper it or ignore it, you're not really loving me. In the same way that if I don't correct my children when they need to be corrected and disciplined, I'm not loving them because a child who is disciplined is a child who is loved. Are you with me? So if I love you and I care about you and you're living in a sinful nature or pattern even at the risk of you not liking me, like the five-year-old who doesn't like his mom because his mom is not going to buy him the 100 ca- candies and lollipops that he wants. Do you know what that is? You know that you know the kid that throws a tantrum in the store? I want that! Yeah, ah, and throws a tantrum? That's, that's a child's way of emotional manipulation. Until you give me what I want or approve or affirm what I want, I'm going to give you hell. And just like children, there are adults who also... Have the same emotional manipulation. And that's why in the culture today, in the culture today, people say, if you don't agree with everything I do and affirm how I live, then you hate me and I don't like hateful, intolerant people. That is, that is not the right. That is emotional manipulation. Because you are telling me that I, how am I going to affirm something that is unbiblical? But because I love... I will confront you or you will confront me. If if, if there's love, and we're not going to ignore the sin, we're going to deal with it, but we're not going to keep a record of wrong, and we're going to say, hey, sin no more. Are you with me? So a lot of times kids mistake their parents' love for, oh, they're just being so mean. No, it's because they love you. But they're not giving you everything you want or you think you want. And the same thing happens in church when you correct people or help people try to identify, hey, there's something you should check out here. Oh, that's so harsh. No, no, that's love. And this is what it's saying here. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't ignore it. It keeps no record of it, and it helps you take steps in the right direction. It takes love to speak truth to people, even those we disagree with. How does this work? Well, when we imitate Jesus, we're gonna, we're also gonna suffer. Hey, did Jesus suffer? <laughs> Are we following Jesus? Do we think we might suffer? Yeah. He impacts it more in verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you begin to walk as Jesus walked, don't you suppose that what Jesus went through, you and I might go through too? (laughs) That's why it says there, Participate in the sufferings of Christ, because when you suffer for the cause of Christ, for defending biblical values, when you stand up for your Christian faith, there is power and there is impact and there is healing for others. So hey, there might be oppression, there might be opposition, there might be insults, but let me say something. be overjoyed about this. First Peter is a challenging book with a challenging message. This whole idea of enduring suffering for the cause of Christ is, is a challenge. Because we naturally want to push back. You know, some of us who, who you know who really, we really want to do this as Christians, we're like, okay, okay. Okay, yeah, Pastor, okay, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to sacrifice for Jesus. Okay, but where's the line? There's got to be a line where I can start fighting back. Like, where's the line when, that when they cross it, I can throw stones back? When, when can I respond the same way the world responds? When can I be aggressive like they're aggressive? When do I get to stand against and disobey even the government to point Back and you know, because that's kind of in some of us, right? And even Jesus, <laughs> you don't have to look for it, but Jesus in Matthew 5:39, he says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. What? Jesus was a wimp. Really? Have you been crucified? Did you live a life worthy enough to shed your blood to forgive the sins of all humanity? Did you take the Crown of thorns, the nails. Jesus was not weak. Jesus was not a coward. This is actually strength. And what it does, it it exposes the weak and the violence and the aggression of the world that doesn't know Christ. The method of Jesus is the most powerful weapon in the history of the church. Did you know that the Christian church has not grown the most when we fought back and argued and slapped back. The Christian church has grown the most when biblical principles were upheld and people suffered for the cause of Christ and endured whatever needed to be endured just as Jesus suffered for our cause. And so, uh, it's a hard, this is a hard message to clap to. I know, it was like a, it was like a slow fading in, fade out. Because, because I, I get it, I get it. But, but God didn't call you to an easy Christianity. So for those of you who are like, oh, I, I'm just hurt by everybody, suck it up, buttercup. I'm gonna, I know I'm going to get comments from my wife and people like, oh, be more loving. Listen, listen, Jesus is loving. The word is, how much more loving can you get than the cross? How much more loving can you get as a church? And all you're trying to do is help people know God, find freedom, discover, make a difference. Like, I mean, this is love. But sometimes you've got to speak truth. And sometimes the truth is, it hits you. And the truth hurts sometimes. And it's good that it hurts, especially if it makes me change for the better. Because man, it, it just stinks if you're always walking around with spinach on your teeth and nobody tells you. Nobody loves you enough to say, bro, you got some spinach on the right front. But when somebody loves you enough to say, You got spinach, man, instead of, who do you think you are? What you never had spinach in your teeth? Like, and you get offended. Instead of, instead of saying, Thank you so much, that took courage because nobody else was willing to say that to me. That's love. That's love. I see some ladies looking at their phone like they've got spinach in their tea. (laughs) Two, suffering will be rewarded. First, jump to chapter 5, which is the chapter right next to it to the right. Chapter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, check this out, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And I know we all naturally want justice, so do I, so does God, but think about this. Are you better able to establish justice than your heavenly father? If not, then the next question we ask is how can we endure the suffering that we may have to endure, have endured, or will endure? How do I, in the name of Jesus, for the good of even unbelievers, how do I embrace trials and suffering? Can I, just, can I just say the truth? Some of us are, you know, our suffering is like, mm-hmm, I didn't have Wi-Fi for two hours, right? S- some of us really got to suck it up and grow up. She looked at me funny. Like, like there's greater suffering in life. So here, here's some, Paul gives some practical advice. Practical advice. Number one, offer hospitality. Where do we see it? First Peter 4 verse 9. First Peter 4 verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So don't do it grumbling. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Here's an honest question. I don't want you to respond. I don't want you to say amen. I don't want you to point and tell them. But just really, when was the last time you showed hospitality to someone? Thinking of others. Without any benefit to yourself. You know, the beautiful thing about hospitality and opening up your doors and treating people is, is that you become even more a part of something greater than yourself. And you know what really helps when you're going through hard times? Having the right people around you. And rather than complaining about how nobody comes to see me, before that even happens, you open the door and see people. And be the answer. Be what you want others to be to you because you reap what you sow. Two, serve others. Serve others. Serve others. Verse 10, look at verse 10, it's right there. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Do you know God's grace gave you giftings and abilities? Here's my question to you. How are you serving others? I'm not talking about what you do as a job because you do that for a paycheck. I'm not talking about how you, what you do for your wife or your kids because that's your extreme family. I'm not, how do you serve others? This is significant. By the way, insiders and outsiders, people that are believers, people that aren't like how can you serve? By the way, Serve Day is coming up, July 15th. It's a good opportunity to get your feet wet and just joining other people and serving in the community making a difference. But, but even aside from that, how can you say, man, every week, every month, I want to somehow put in God's hands the gifts that he's put in mine by serving people, by, serving, by, by discovering who I am, how he's wired me and what I'm good for and how I can feel great fulfillment from doing what He's put in me to do and not giving excuses, but finding the way to do it. You know what I mean? By the way, we have a growth track here. If you ever want to join the team, we have a big impact team. A lot of people that serve here in a lot of different ways, Sundays and throughout the week. And our team is really, really good, but it could be even better with you. Oh, but nobody even called me to come serve. No, you call and say, I want to serve. Yeah, you can, you can I have a list. You can imagine hundreds of people. I never got called. You don't have to get called to serve. You say, I want to serve. When you live your life serving others, it makes an impact. Makes an impact. You live out Jesus' example. Three, speak truth. Right there, verse 11, the first part of verse 11. You see it? If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. How do you speak the words of God? How do you do that? Well, if you want the words of God to come out of you, then you have to put the words of God Into you. (laughs) What goes in is what comes out. Now look at these three. Hospitality, serve, speak. There's a temptation for us as Christians to want to jump right to speaking. Right to telling people. This is right. That's wrong. This is you. This is me. This is it. We have a tendency to want to go to speak. But here's the problem. If we don't do hospitality and serve, we don't earn a voice. We don't win that voice to say, and let me speak some truth and some life. Because a lot of times, they don't want to hear. <laughs> People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Does that make sense? And so some of us maybe have tried the wrong approach. Well, I don't know. They don't want to come. I've invited them. And they don't want to listen to Jesus. And they're fools, you know, right? And, and Because we just want to talk, but we haven't taken time to just t- to love, be hospitable, and serve. Could that maybe open the door? I think so. So, so everything we talk talking about right now, that's kind of a horizontal it's a horizontal, it's, it's interpersonal, it's with other people. But there's also a vertical battle going on as well. Now, and, and what I'm talking about here is spiritual and I, and I don't know how much you've learned, know or don't know or believe or don't believe about the spiritual world. There's a spiritual world that these eyes can't see. And the Bible talks a lot about this, about the spiritual world and spiritual beings, angels, demons, Satan. So, so Peter offers another three-part strategy in First Peter 5, and I'm going to say, how do we stand firm spiritually in times of suffering? Number one, humble yourself. Look at 1 Peter 5. Now we're in chapter 5, verse 6. And it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up. When? In due time. So what do you got to do for God to lift you up in due time? You have to humble yourself. Every good warrior of the Lord, because there's a spiritual battle happening, has to begin with humility. You cannot win in this life spiritually without humility. We just read it a few verses back. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Second, lighten your load. Lighten your load. 1 Peter 5 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. I know that many of you have been going through some tough seasons. In life, maybe carrying some extra baggage and burdens and weight, every spiritual warrior knows, actually every warrior that goes to the battle knows that every extra pound of weight that you have on you could potentially affect your life. When you're in battle, you do not need unnecessary excess baggage or weight. And so many people are carrying a lot of burdens, and it's time to release unnecessary baggage. For example, you don't need to carry the weight of anxiety. Why? Because God cares for you. He hasn't forgotten about you. You don't need to carry the extra weight of guilt. Why? Because if you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Bible says that he died on the the cross to pay the price for your sins. Therefore, I don't have to keep carrying my guilt. I release it to him. You don't have to keep carrying the extra weight and baggage of shame. Why? Because Jesus paid the price to set you free from shame. And the same thing with doubt and fear and, all, and everything else that doesn't come from God. Number three, stay alert, stay alert. 1 Peter 5.8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It doesn't say he prowls around like a little cat looking for somebody to munch on. He wants to devour. And some people make the mistake In believing that demons aren't real and that the devil isn't real. And if you have never had the pleasure of encountering somebody who's spiritually, demonically possessed, let me just tell you, I'll invite you to the next one. Because it's real. And people don't know the doors that they open in darkness and the occult. And just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. There's a lot of people, for a lot of reasons, that get tangled up in a lot of spiritual an occult, possession, oppression, or influence. And it's real. And so don't make the mistake of denying that, but also don't make the mistake of giving it more power than than it should have. Some people see a demon behind everything. Like, oh, he fell. There must be a demon that falls. Oh, 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 I I ran out of gas. That's the the gas demon, right? That's the Chevron demon. Like, don't, don't see a demon everywhere. That's hyper-spiritualizing things. So don't go to those extremes, but be aware. It says there, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around. I think that's the reason why a lot of people get caught up, because they don't even believe. It's not hard to mess with people who don't believe in you. Verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You can overcome the enemy because people all over the world are and have. And so this brings us up just basically to the end of this conversation today and this message. What is God calling you to do? When you think you're at your limit and you realize you're just that 40% of what you can truly tolerate, you're, you're able and capable of more than you think you can. And let me remind you today, if you're a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower, a disciple... God has called you. And he will never call you to something that he won't empower you and enable you to do, especially when it comes to impacting other people's lives and truly making a difference. What are you doing with what God placed in your hands? Your giftings, your abilities. Is everything you do revolved around what you want and need and yours and me and mine and us? How much, what percentage, what portion is this is for the kingdom? What is God calling you to do? Some want to throw in the towel and quit early. Don't quit. Don't give up. Because you may miss the greatest adventure of your life. And you may risk never experiencing all that God had for you. So don't quit early. Don't give up. Seek the Lord. Look up. Are you willing to be used by God to do what only he can help you to do? Even in the midst of pain and suffering? Because here's the truth. There's growth and there's comfort, but you can't have both. If you want comfort, it's going to cost you growth. You ain't going to grow. If you want growth, it's going to cost you comfort. In fact, it's going to cost you pain. Because remember, remember the equation? Growth equals change. Change equals loss. Loss equals pain. Ultimately, we could just say growth equals pain. Do you really want to grow? Before I pray, you don't have to look at up here on the screens, verse 10, First Peter 5, 10. Look, 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 right before his salutation and greeting, closing, greeting, Peter says, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, Because that's part of this world, by the way. The no suffering part, hey, that's heaven. (laughs) After you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the the power forever and ever. Amen. Pastor, I'm about to give up on my marriage. Pastor, I'm about to give up on my Pastor, I'm about to give up on all these giving up, all these giving up. Why why every week you're giving up? Why Why every month you're giving up? Is that, is that the foundation that Christ gave you? A little flimsy foundation wherever you, your feelings get hurt? Is that, is that your faith? Where you're giving up every week, every month, every year? Let's go. Let's do this. God has called you for great things. God hasn't called us to be a wimpy church, a wimpy Christian church. Oh, look, we go to Chuck E. Cheese. Let, let's, let's be powerful, strong men and women and young people of Christ. A different generation. Not for me, not for, for our future generations, man, the world's getting crazier and crazier. And if our kids don't see men and women who, who stand up in faith, who live different, who talk different, who walk different, who don't, who don't do all the crap that everybody else does. So we don't have to live with all of that junk. Is it okay to get passionate? Oh, pastor was rowdy today. I'm offended. So go listen to CNN, go listen to Fox News, go listen to ESPN. They're gonna offend you eventually. Man, there's such, a, there's, such a, there's such a hope in Jesus. There's such a hope in Jesus. I want to pray. Can we pray? I want to do two prayers. One for everybody. Just asking the Lord to help us with standing firm in the midst of suffering. And then a second prayer for people who maybe are far from Jesus. Lord, right now we come before you specifically, specifically asking you to help us with this challenging message that Peter gave us. Lord, maybe it would have been easier if we didn't have this message. But, but Lord, it's what you lived out. Help us to understand that if we want to grow, it truly comes at a cost. And the truth is, you want us to grow. And on this side of heaven, there will be some extent of suffering. And I pray, Lord, that we would understand the principles from your word that help us stand firm, even when the world around us opposes, oppresses, or pushes back on us because of our faith. Lord, we will not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is power And to salvation of those who believe. And today, Lord, I pray that you would give me the courage to stand up so that my kids and my kids and grandkids and great grandkids' generation would at least be able to say that they saw a godly example in us. And even though we won't get things perfect, I pray that it would be evident and known how much we love you and how much we love people deeply to point them to you. Help us have hospitality and service and speaking truth and help us be humble and stay awake and alert and be close to you, Lord. And in the midst of challenges and trials and suffering and pain, we're not gonna ask why. We're gonna learn to ask what for? How will you use this for your glory? Give us courage, give us strength. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Thanks for listening to the Vertical Church Podcast. And thank you to all of you who give generously to this ministry. You make this ministry possible. You can always give online by visiting us at verticalchurch.com. And if you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, rate it, share it with your friends, and you can also share it on social media and tag us at vertical underscore social. Thanks again for listening and God bless you.